Second time that's happened today. Oh, that's actually really encouraging to somebody getting up here. So thank you. How are you guys? Sound good? I like all the chatter. That's good. That's always encouraging to hear that going around. Uh, excited beer day. Hey, we're going to pretty much hop right in this morning. So if you need a Bible, uh, if you'll, uh, I know it's kind of a quick turnaround for our ushers here, uh, but they'll grab one in a second here. Uh, Tori, if you could help out uh, with some of the Bibles here. Uh, there we go. If you'll raise your hand if you need a Bible, you need the Word of God, we've got it for you. Uh, if you want to receive a Bible from Usher, it's our gift to you. Uh, please take that. So we're going to be in Ephesians 6 this morning. We're going to hop right in and get, in it, uh, get into it all. You can also follow along on the U version. Uh, just keep your hand high if you need uh, the Word. It's uh, for you. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be in U version too. So if you want to follow along on the U version app, you can actually pull up the U version app, uh, go to the events section, go to the well, which is a location nearby. And you can follow along to some notes as well. There's also a link at the bottom of the screen. It's in yellow. I don't know if you can see it or not, but you can plug that in as well. Hey, we'll hop right in. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, as I said, verse 10. And uh, we're going to read and pray and dive right in. Paul says this. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit of God, says, Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, that's today, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we just pray today and we come uh, to you. I come to you uh, just to, to admit my inadequacies to you today, God, and to say that I've got nothing to offer. Everything that is to offer today is from the word of God and the spirit of God. May you speak boldly to the hearts of your children today. May you Declare to them and anybody in here today that is wrestling currently with an enemy that is active and real, may you declare to them confidence in you, Jesus, today. I pray that we would speak boldly the gospel in here. I pray that ears would be open and hearts would be open. And I pray for anybody in here today that is sitting that does not know you, that they know that the offer is open today to be in a relationship, not clean themselves up, but to be in a relationship today with you. Freedom, forgiveness, power moving forward. God, it's by you the word that you promise us. You say that your word will not return void. 
So we declare that promise today. We call upon your spirit in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Hey, uh, I would love to ask you actually before we even begin, a little something different that we don't normally do. If you're willing, would you just, uh, would you close your eyes again and pray? And would you ask God to speak to you today? Would you ask him, if you're willing, to speak specifically to you? And in the stillness, would you also just ask him to speak boldly that I might be helpful for you at all today? Amen. So I don't know if you have had this happen in your life before, but uh, maybe you have signed up for something in your life where you got involved in something and you thought it was one thing and it turned out to be something else. Like in my life, this happens all the time in my stage of life. People say, hey, can you help me move? And they say, I've just got a few items. And I show up, and you know what I'm talking about? You show up, and you're like, brother, you said a few items, okay? We've got two U-Haul trucks out in your driveway right now. Or maybe uh, you, your wife has been asking you to fix something in the house, or you're trying to fix something in your home, and you start to try to YouTube it, you know what I mean, the YouTube directions. You're like, okay, I can be an electrician today. I don't need a four-year degree from UT Austin. I'm going to try to fix this today. Next thing you know, lights are going out, electricity is shocking you, and you're realizing I have signed up for way more than I uh, originally bargained for here. Maybe you took a job somewhere. Maybe you began to walk into this job thinking it was one thing, and you realize, wow, this is a whole, like, they, they, they bamboozled me. They got me in here. This is way more than what I expected here. I took a trip not long ago uh, down to Lusaka, Zambia. I had the privilege to be part of a ministry down there. And I got to, um, on the way down there, this guy on this plane somehow convinced me that it was going to be wise for me. He thought I was crazy if I didn't raft the Zambezi River while I was down there thought, okay. He goes, yeah, man, it's one of the top 10, like, manliest vacations according to GQ. I was like, oh, <laughs> great. That's, that's who I need to follow, GQ. I'm going to do that. So I get there, and in my idiot self, I tell the person at the concierge desk, hey, you need to sign me up for one of these trips. And I rallied the troops with a couple of friends of mine. And this guy shows up in a truck one morning. His name, I kid you not, I'm not making this up. His name was Potato. And... <laughs> I'm not making that up. His name was Potato. It should have been the first sign from God that I was not doing <laughs> the right thing. And he throws me in the back of his truck. We start driving down these dirt roads, and we're like in the middle of nowhere. He pulls up to the edge of a cliff, and he's like, get everybody out. And he's like, we're going to walk down to the bottom of this ravine, and we're going to give you 20 minutes of training. I'm going, 20 minutes of training? That's it? We're about to raft the river? And we get down to the very bottom, and as if it was like not the last omen from God that I shouldn't be doing this, there were dead animal carcasses floating <laughs> in this eddy. This, this, they called it the seven days eddy. It was a water just, and apparently hippos and alligators go over the Victoria Falls. And it was the last sign from God to not do what I was about to do. And at some point, I was like, okay, I probably signed up for more than I've bargained for. I get in, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe it'll be better. Maybe it's like a day on Town Lake, all right? It'll be chill. It'll be easy going. <laughs> no, it was not a day on Town Lake. We turn a corner, and within five minutes of being in this raft, I turn a corner, and there is a white wall of water bigger than the size of my house. I mean, it was straight up, and we... We were going, and I had a life vest on, and I forgot to tell you this minor detail. I was the only English-speaking person on this trip. <laughs> Nobody was speaking English, 
And so we had these signs that he said when he slapped over here on the water, we were supposed to get on this side of the boat. And I mean, it was chaos. It was like the Tower of Babel for rafts. It was crazy. And we, we get, hit this white water deal. And I'm telling you, the boat flipped immediately. We're flying out. Oars are going everywhere. Coolers and ice chests. People are screaming. I can barely breathe. What felt like 60 minutes underwater was probably 60 seconds. He's pulling me up. People are screaming. And the whole rest of the day was just chaos. It was just like that. And I remember thinking, this is way more than I ever intended to sign up for. This is stupid is what it is. This is idiotic. Why did I do this for an entire full day? And I tell you that this morning because I tell you, I think this is what Paul is trying to do for us in this text. No, he's not telling you to sign up for a whitewater rapids trip. He's trying to help you understand the context of which you are operating in as a believer of God day in and day out. Are you with me this morning? He is telling you today, he has been writing this book and he is trying to help us see we need to be prepared. We need to be alert. We need to be on our toes and aware that today when I say to you, there is an enemy, there is an enemy and he is out. Hello, do you feel the room already shifting? Feel the somberness. There is an enemy And he has a target on your back, Christian. He does not desire you to grow. He does not desire you to live in the realities of who you are and what God has done for you. And this is what Paul is saying to us today. He could have simply signed the letter at the end of verse uh, 9. He's talking about slaves and masters and there's no partiality in him. Signed, Paul. Love you. Your bestie, Paul. See you later. P.S. We want to see you soon and uh, meet me in Corinth. You know, I don't know. What What would he sign? But he didn't do it that way. He ends the letter and he says to us, after all these things, he says 27 times in this book that you are in Christ. And he's unpacked the implications for us in your marriage, and your work, in your family, in society, with race relations, with your kids, with your school. He's unpacked what does it mean to walk in Christ. There are some heavy implications and he ends it. And the thing that he says at the very end is finally be strong in the Lord. And he awakens us to the reality that the context that we're in, if we're not aware of it, it could be detrimental. It could be really detrimental. It's like today, if I told you, by the way, covenant members, welcome. We're having a business meeting today. Congratulations. You're going to hear a little bit about where our church is going, what needs to happen. We're going to eventually need a building. I stole your thunder a little bit, Tori. But we're going to eventually need to figure out where to go. Maybe it's not a building. But what if today I tried to ask you, and I said, I need to create a faction of people who are going to help us build our building. Can we, you know, where are architects in here? We got a lot of them. Where are our builders? Where are our carpenters? Where are the people working construction? Where are commercial real estate agents? And we start forming this. And I say, I give you the blueprints. I give you your role. I give you what you're supposed to do. I tell you where to go. And I leave one minor detail out. By the way, you're going to be building in enemy territory. You're going to be shot at the whole time while you're building. You're going to be fired at. You're going to face some immense opposition. Lay a brick, sniper shot, boom, blows up. That's where you're going to go. We're going to plant a church in the middle of Syria. What would change when I tell you that? Your whole disposition and your whole demeanor about how you go about work should shift. How you think about your life should shift. And this is what Paul is saying today. Don't be alarmed, but be aware that there's an enemy. 
and that you're called to do his work in the midst of opposition. Paul has not just casually entered into the conversation about an enemy and spiritual warfare. He actually said this earlier in Ephesians 2. He's recapping a little bit of what's happened in Ephesians. But earlier in Ephesians 2, he said, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Let me say that again. You were dead. The gospel is not that God came to make you bad to good. He did not come to make you good. He did not come to make you a nice guy. He did not make you to come to be a better person. He came to bring you to life. He came to give you his spirit. He came to give you power and authority in his name. And it says that you were dead, and when you were dead, you walked following the course of this world, following, listen, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in sons of disobedience. He says you followed the devil. He says in Romans 5 and James 4 that you were not, when you were not an ally with God, you were an enemy to God. So you might not think that, you might not have felt that, but let me tell you clearly, if you're not an ally, you're an enemy. There's no neutral ground with Jesus. He's not a, I might be this, I might be that. He is a guy who tells us straight up, either you are with or you are against. And that sounds really divisive in a day and age where we don't like to speak like that. We also don't like to speak about supernatural powers in 2018. We're in a rational, modern world Uh, We think that reason and science is the end-all, be-all of everything. But notice what he says in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The first thing you have to understand today, Christian, is that Christianity is a battle. Oh, that doesn't get a lot of amens and claps, does it? Yeah, brother, we're in a battle. Not that exciting, is it? But you are. You're in the middle of a war. You're in the middle of a fight. And, in, and you are with an enemy that we'll talk about that is deceptive. We don't like to talk. Some of y'all in here love that. The moment I say that we're in a battle, you're like I was telling Tori this morning, I was downloading my sermon for him and like, hey, what do you think I should do here? And he was like, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's fight. I'm ready. Y'all saw him jump up on stage kicking and screaming. I mean, this brother is alert and ready, okay? Some of y'all love it. You're Call of Duty, Braveheart, Gladiator, let's go. Some of y'all are like, I don't want to talk about fighting ever. I don't ever want to talk about confrontation. I don't want to deal with confrontation. Somebody else deal with it, all right? And God is like, there's really no choice. There are fights that are necessary in our faith. There are fights that are necessary in this world. Let me prove to you this. If I told you today that there are 27 million people entrapped in a form of slavery and human trafficking from sex to slave labor, and I told you that that's happening in the world where at the height and the pinnacle of that in the history of the slave trade in the U.S. and in the world, you would not disagree with me that fighting that injustice is a good thing. Fighting can be a good thing. Fighting can be necessary. By the way, just a side tidbit, Houston is the second largest city for human trafficking in the country, in the United States. So it's happening in Austin. It's happening in San Antonio. It's happening in our back doors. God wants us to fight certain battles. Evil is what he wants us to fight. Evil is what he calls us to combat. He says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities of darkness. I remember when I came to faith, nobody talked to me about that. 
Nobody said, hey, man, welcome to Jesus. It was like, hey, you raise your hand, pre- you know, come walk and follow the Lord. And you're, you know, you're a new creation. It was awesome. But no one ever sat with me and said, you're entering into a battle. You're entering into a family where God is going to take the family of God and equip you to be a soldier. That's not something we talk about a lot. But it's so necessary you know that the scripture in Paul here, he is saying to us, it's time to stand and be a soldier. He's saying that there is suffering, there's persecution, and there's hardship. Oftentimes, hardship leads to greater intimacy with Jesus. Amen. And sometimes we need to hear that that opposition that presses up against us is actually going to lead us back to a greater depth of intimacy. Maybe that's why God even allows some of it. Maybe that's why the Lord works in the midst of it, and he is. Let me be real clear today before we go any further. The enemy has already lost. The victory is already won, and he is on a leash that the Lord allows to roam and run, and he uses the enemy's work against himself. But it doesn't change that we are in a battle. If the war is won, we're walking in a battle, and we have to wake up, Christians, Some of us know it here. We get it. We hear it. We're like, yeah, of course. We believe it. But to know it here, to walk in it because it's maybe deceived and it's hidden and it's somewhere else, I want us today as a family, your pastors want you today to be alert to this stuff, okay? Uh, J.C. Ryle says this in a book that he wrote. He's questioning uh, believers, and he says, and he wants to question our fight. How much fight is in you? He says this, there are thousands of men and women who go to chapels and churches every Sunday and they call themselves Christian. But you never see any fight out of their religion of spiritual strife, of exertion, of conflict, of self-denial, of watching, of warring. They know literally nothing at all. Let us consider these propositions. The saddest symptom about so many Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict or fight. Of all this, they appear to know nothing. Do you find in your heart of hearts a spiritual struggle? Are you conscious of principles within you contending for the mastery? Do you feel anything of war in your inward man? Well, let us thank God. It is a good sign. It is strongly probable evidence of the great work of sanctification. He's saying God is working. It's a sign that God is at work within you. And then he says this, my favorite line in the whole thing, all all true saints are soldiers. A real Christian can be known as much by their inward warfare as by their inward peace. It's a paradox. That as much as when you walk in the faith of Jesus, receive the peace of God, you begin to enter into a conflict And God is going to supply us and teach us how to walk in that. An enemy does not care about you until you are an ally of their enemy. Let me say that again. An enemy doesn't care about you until you're an ally of that enemy. Because as far as he's concerned, you're an ally to him. Matthew 11, 12 says this, From days of old to the time of John the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Translation, the kingdom of God advances because there's a spiritual warfare battle happening. That there's an enemy trying to take ground and he's calling us to push back against darkness. Those aren't just hyperbolic words that we say as preachers. Hey, brother, push the darkness back. It is a real thing. It is a very real and active thing. I want to tell you this. Sin is like a drug. It's a narcotic. It is something 
that puts you to sleep. It tells you tomorrow, deal with this. It's fine. It's not urgent. This will get taken care of eventually. But if you're not careful, it's like a baby lion that you will nurture and it will grow up and devour you. It will. Christianity is the opposite. It speaks to us freedom, a way out. It speaks to us the way against evil and against our own flesh and bones and against the darkness. And it tells us to be awake and alert. Let me, let me prove this to you real quick, if it's okay. I want you to think real quick with me, Christian. I want you to think about your walk with the Lord. I want you to think real quick. When you first came to faith, when you first started walking in a faith with Jesus, do you remember how passionate you were? Do you remember that you wanted to wake up early and not hit the snooze button? That you were clamoring to get in the word of God? Do you remember that you were excited about combating some things that were going on in you and walking in a community and beginning to walk in a, a community of faith in a small group and come to church? And there was this striving in you. There was this pushing in you against the things that slowly maybe for some of us over time have just crept in. And we get a little more lackadaisical. We get a little more tired. And what Paul wants to say is, are you asleep? Or are you awake? Are you taking a nap? You have to understand that in your inward conflict, in the opposition that you face, don't let me lose you here, adversity breeds intimacy. God does not long you to push down the adversity that you have. He longs for you to engage it and engage it with him and let it drive you to intimacy with him. Amen? He uses words like strive, watch, stand firm, be strong, wrestle, labor, toil, run the race, fight the good fight. These are the things he says. Christianity is a battle. Second thing you got to know today is who are we fighting with? We're battling a supernatural, spiritual enemy. Okay, now before I lose you and you roll your eyes, <laughs> before you check out, yes, I am educated. Yes, I went to the University of Texas at Austin. Yes, I have a master's degree. And yes, I know this is 2018 and us talking about a devil. It could be a bizarre and weird thing. It is weird because we see physical, but we don't see what's happening behind the physical eyes. And Paul is saying to us today, the devil is real and he's the cause of a lot of opposition that you face. All of it, mm, maybe not, probably not. Some of it, absolutely and if you object to believing that there is an enemy, I just want to ask you a question today. On what grounds do you stand? What causes you to believe that there's not a supernatural enemy? Do you believe in good and evil? Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in a meta-nature? Do you believe in a supernature? Do you believe in the supernatural at all? Do you believe in good supernatural? If you believe in good supernatural, then why not believe in evil supernatural. Do you believe anything that Jesus says at all? And if you do, do you pick and choose? Because Jesus himself said this, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So one of the greatest apologetics for us, one of the greatest reasons to know that we believe Satan's real, Jesus himself said it. Do you believe that? I love Dr. Keller's, Tim Keller's exposition of this. He says, there are some, stick with me, who will deny supernatural. For 200 to 300 years, Western civilization has been under what we call an enlightenment consensus. It says that faith is subjective. 
But we know now, they say, but we know now that the way to find truth is by reason and scientific method, objective only. We know that the universe is a closed system, so therefore, nothing from the outside could come in. If you reason and you use science, there is no such thing as the miraculous. And if you believe in the supernatural, well, you, sir, are living in the Middle Ages, especially if you believe there's a devil. The fact that people will tell you at all highest levels now that philosophy over the last 50 years has begun to shift and has begun to exclaim out loud that they know that they cannot prove that there is not a supernatural Why? Because to say that there is not a supernatural is also a faith assumption. You are placing faith in that belief right there. It is a religious commitment in and of itself. You can say there is no supernatural, but you and I are in the same boat. We're making faith assumptions. We are making faith declarations. We are operating in a belief. You can say I am modern and I am rational and I reason, and you're ridiculous but you have a right to your belief. You really do. But you have to know it is a belief, just like my set of beliefs. You have to understand, you may not like religion, but the definition of a religion is a set of beliefs, and you're operating in them. Tim's point is you cannot deny the supernatural is possible. It's really impossible to do that. And Paul's point is, is you need to wake up and realize it's active. Now, I understand today, hear me clearly, There are people who today could wake up and go, I tried to drive to church today, brother, and my tire was flat. It was the devil. He didn't want me to get to church today. And I'm like, no, brother, you should have inflated your tire like your wife told you. She was the voice of truth and reason in your household. So we can live and operate on these lines that say that it doesn't exist at all or it's hypersensitive to it so exists. You know what God wants us to do and what the text shows us? Live in the tension. Be okay with attention in the text that says, don't make so much of evil, but don't not make enough of evil. I would bet that a lot of us are over here on this end of not making enough of it. There are those people, we all know them. We know them. We're like, oh Lord, here they go again. I get it. But there is a tension to live in. And to ignore evil is to ignore the realities of this world. I've got a brother in here today who he's sitting in here today, he's worked on the front lines of the Syrian refugee crisis. And he has seen with his own eyes the unbelievable nature of humanity at its worst. Evil operating through human beings. It is real. Evil is a real thing. And you need to be aware of it, okay? The author, uh, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And in this book, um, He is writing, it's a great book to read from, he's writing from the perspective of an older demon teaching a younger demon how to engage with the enemy, that's us Christians. And this is what he says, and the quote will be up on the screen. He says, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. Remember, he's speaking to another demon. So if any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in the Christian's mind, suggest to him a picture of something wearing red tights. Persuade him that he cannot believe in that. It's an old textbook method of confusing him. He therefore cannot believe in you. Look, I am, I'm not that guy that's going to stand here today and be like, don't go see that movie. (laughs) I'm just not. That's not me. I'm not going to be that guy. I was an actor for 25 years of my life since I was a kid. And I love Hollywood. I love some of the things that they do. 
But I also am so hyper aware now that there are things that you voluntarily put on for your eyes when the Lord says that the eyes are the window to the soul and you watch. And I wonder what you invite in as you entertain comically what satan satanic things are, evil things are, witchcraft, voodoo, some of these things, tarot cards, Ouija boards, things that people are dabbling in in this church. Let me say that again. There are people in here who have dabbled in that, and I believe there's probably people who are walking in some of that now. Okay, you don't believe me? I've asked a friend of mine, I don't think it's any irony, that he came up to me last week after the message and said, can I speak to you for a minute? And he shared his story with me. And I asked him if he would write it down because I believe firmly that God wanted me to read this note to you today. And I wanted you to hear a story of somebody who is in this church, who has walked in some of this. And I want you to hear what he says. I want you to understand that it might be deceptive in some ways to you, but there are some blatantly open things that the enemy is operating in. I want you to hear this today. He wrote this, kindly has allowed me to share this today, out of a prayerful heart that it helps somebody. He said, in early 2016, I departed down a journey of truth with the hope of discovering my true identity. I hoped to discover the reason for my existence. I had always been fascinated with Eastern culture, since a fairly early age, I decided that I needed to make my own spiritual growth a priority if I was ever going to find fulfillment and lasting peace. So I plopped down on my bed one day. I crossed my legs and I closed my eyes, entered further down into Eastern culture. Everything went dark until suddenly a bright flash of golden light appeared and with a vague and ever-changing singular eye, it was shifting in the center. The eye remained on me. And while it remained an eye, it was constantly morphing into different shapes. It was starting, staring directly at me. And without warning and a loud sound, a booming voice erupted. And it said, what is it that you want? Was this the voice of God speaking to me? I wondered. I felt my destiny and fate were calling me forth. And so with courage, I answered what I wanted. The voice seemed content. And with one final word said, it will be done. Faded away. I opened my eyes. And there on my stomach, I noticed a bright purple, pink, and blue flame burning. I thought nothing of it. Maybe I had met God at long last. And a sense of pride began to overtake me. My arrogance grew, and over the next several months, nine months, meditating twice a day for two hours, I had spiritual journeys alongside animals who I assumed were my spiritual guides. From white tigers to crows to eagles, I had an endless hunger to grow more, and I constantly grew further and deeper down into the esoteric. I consumed philosophy. I moved from Confucius to Marcus Aurelius to Pascal to Nietzsche to Alan Watts to Psychocants to Psychedelic Trip Hunters, and I placed these ways of life as I dived deeper into Buddhism and shamanism. I attended Hindu rituals and practices and sought after to find the divine glory of God until one night I had a dream and that I would serve to change my eternity forever. I was standing in the New York Harbor, and I was looking at the city skyline when all of a sudden a large hurricane came rushing towards me. The intensity was unnerving, and I felt completely helpless. From my right, a man dressed in white approached. He lifted his hand, and in a matter of seconds, the storm subsided. A wave of peace, bliss, and calm overtook me. And it was more, the feeling was more surreal and pure than anything I'd ever felt in my entire life. 
Spiritual dreams were of no surprise to me. It was one of the ways that I communicated to the spiritual realm, and I studied them. But something was different about this encounter. I followed the man as he walked off, and I questioned him, are you my archangel? Are you my spiritual guide? And the man turned his face, and his lips were visible. And with a small, faint smile, he just simply said, dwell upon Jesus. He said, he goes on to say he woke up. And from that moment on, God began to lead him into understanding what was going on from YouTube videos, from reading and discovering what was actually happening in his deception. He said he fell to his knees, his stomach churned, and he called for Jesus to be his savior. He said, "For yeah, amen. For two weeks after those animals and those spiritual guys, they began to turn on me. I would wake up with shadowy figures in my mirrors. My voice would be whispered in my ear, a voice would be whispered in my ear at night. Objects would move and be slammed into my wall. I saw body demonic apparitions staring at me in hate and spite. I had dreams of the demonic talking to me, telling me that the gate to God had been opened in me and that they wanted to stab me to death. Multiple encounters of the demonic leading me to Satan to persuade and offer me dream roles in my industry. I held fast, though, to the Lord. I have grown in his word, and after a year and a half of attacks, they have subsided. Every now and then, I will be visited in my dreams, and please do not miss this, hear this. I will be vis visited in my dreams, and I still struggle with great anxiety, self-doubt, and feelings of worthlessness. Lies are whispered in my ear and physical energy drains out of me at times. But by relying on Jesus and with the perseverance of God, I am free, protected, and safe. It is not an easy walk, a stretch of the imagination, but it's one that I am happy to be walking with God. Come on. I know that's heavy. I know that that feels weighty. And some of you today, that might be the first time you've ever heard anything like that. I read it for that reason. I want you to be aware. I don't want you to miss there's an extreme over here. The extreme is there is an enemy who's coming at people in that way in this church. And there is the other part of it that I imagine many of you in here are battling and wrestling with. Feelings of self-doubt and anxiety and fear and worthlessness that you don't matter. Can I tell you today as a pastor and as a speaker for the Jesus Christ himself that it is a lie from the pit of hell. And he loves you and his worth that he sees you is massive. He sees you as mightily worthy. So much that he would give his life for you. So much that he would send his son to die on your behalf to bring you into a relationship, to give you the power that is in him to overcome this enemy. And he longs for us to combat these lies and this self-doubt and this worthlessness and this feeling alone and this loneliness. He's telling you today, brothers and sisters, wake up. Don't press it down don't walk away from it. Engage it. Engage it how? I'm glad you asked. It goes into the next part of our sermon. Before we get there, I want you to see this. There'll be some names of the enemy up here. I just want you to see it. None of these are good, okay? Nothing is good about the way that God calls the enemy. Jesus calls him a stealer, a killer, and a destroyer. Take a picture of it. Whatever you walk with that in community group this week. But I want you to hear how Paul in this text engages it. He says this, the enemy is evil. 
The enemy is strategic. I also realized I spelled the word strategic wrong. Can you put that slide up there for me? So, yeah. Hello. Thank you. Everybody pointed that out to me last gathering. Felt really good about myself. Um, the enemy is evil, strategic, and the enemy wrestles with us. How is he strategic? I want you to see this in the text. Put on, verse 11 says, the whole armor of God, right? And that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That word schemes in the Greek comes from the word methodias. It means methods, tactics, ways of engagement that are targeted specifically to you. He has tactics and methods for young, for the old. He has methods and tactics for suburbanites and urbanites. He has methods and tactics for black, white, all sorts of races. He has methods and tactics for USA citizens, as he does for those in the tribal bush of Africa. He has methods across the board, and what he wants you to see today, and Paul wants you to see, is that you're not free from these methods. I get it. We think we're really smart. We're Americans, right? We're the pinnacle of all creation of history of intelligence. He's smarter than you. You have an enemy that is more deceptive. His name is the deceiver. His name is the slander and the accuser. He is smarter than you. And Paul is not leaving us alone in this. It says that he wrestles with us. That word wrestling is literally, it means a hand-to-hand combat. It's like two soldiers, if they were here on the ground, wrestling and grappling and fighting. It's hand-to-hand. It's close. It's not a distant warfare. It is a up-close and personal brother and sister. He knows you. He knows your ways. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to wake you up. He knows how you operate. He knows the triggers and the things that will lead you down a path that he would long for you to go down. He is so aware. And the point is, point three, how do we fight him? We battle the enemy with a greater, supernatural, more powerful strength. And his name is Jesus. We battle in the power of our Savior. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Notice in verse 10 when he says, be strong in the Lord and in his strength and in his might. There's nowhere in there that it says, be strong in your abilities and your power and your resources and your knowledge and your understanding. There's nowhere in there that says to be powerful in your understanding of the word, your understanding of how mighty you are, how much of ministry you operate in. Notice he doesn't say be a pastor and then you can actually get into the fight. Notice he doesn't say be in a parachurch ministry and then you can get into the fight. Notice he doesn't say it's how extroverted you are. Notice he doesn't say it's how much you feel you have it together. He says get in the fight because we are in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we have everything in Christ that Christ has. So you are in him. So when you're in him, he's in you. You have what he has today. You have the power that raised Christ from the dead. Not my words. Yes, that is worth a clap today. It is worth cheering because God didn't leave us abandoned and helpless. Okay, he goes into this and he says this. He starts to build out this armor of God, okay? He starts saying, put on this armor. Now, I know most people have often felt like that means I need to like pray through. What is the belt of truth? Okay, Lord, put the belt of truth on me today. All right, Lord, put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm now putting, I'm visualizing the helmet, Lord, putting it on today. It's not what he's saying. 
He's saying put the voice of the Lord and be close to these things in God. Be as close to them as possible. That's what he's saying to you today. Paul is pulling from the Old Testament imagery of the Messiah that would come and fight the battle, the only battle that mattered for you and on your behalf that you could not fight. So guess what? We're going to put up these things up here. This is what it says to you here today. But um, throw up the verses for me. Um, there we go. These verses right here, Isaiah, Psalms, Isaiah 52, 11, Isaiah 11, 49, messianic prophecies of the Messiah and what he would do. It literally talks about the belt of truth that he'd put on. It talks about the breastplate of righteousness that Jesus wore. He wore these things first. And now that you're in him, you get them. It's him and his power. It's what he wore when he defeated the enemy already, when he told him it is finished on the cross. And he says, put it on. Be close to these things. Don't be close to that voice. He's a liar. Be close to the voice of these things. Throw, up, throw them up for me one more time. The belt of truth. Truth written. That word is logos. It means the written truth of God. Be close to the written truth. It's power. It holds things together. The breastplate of righteousness. Some of y'all are like, I understand that. I have a belt that I'm trying to hold things together right now. Yes, it holds things together. Breastplate of righteousness. What do you wear a breastplate for? To protect your heart. It's not the imputed righteousness of God. That's your position and that can't change. You are right with the Lord if you're a believer and you've given your life to him. This is living rightly. He's encouraging you, live right and it will protect this wellspring of life that is within you. That's what he's saying. Shoes for your feet, the readiness of the gospel of peace. He's saying, hey, go into places where you need to wear different kinds of shoes at different kinds of times and carry the gospel of peace with you. Be ready. You're peacemakers. Carry the peaceful gospel. It's a weapon in darkness. Shield of faith. A shield of faith. What can you have faith in today, Christian? You can only have faith in the promises of God. Why? Everything else will shift and change, including me. Everything else. That's why we say read the word of God, because I will shift. If you get me to know me long enough, you'll understand. <laughs> I am a flaky person. We put our hope in a lot of things that we don't need to be putting our hope in. He's saying pull up the promises of God, and the next time you hear a lie spoken to you of worthlessness, I dare you to pull up the promise of God that tells you you are worthwhile, you are holy, blameless, pure, righteous, you're a son of God, child, chosen, free, forgiven. All of that's in Ephesians chapter one. That's just one page. If you want to keep reading the rest of scripture, there are a lot of promises in the scriptures. Use them. I tell guys, I hang out with a lot of college guys, I tell them all the time, write out on paper the lies you're hearing. Get blatantly real. Y'all, if you could ever come to my house, do not go snooping. Because I got journals in there of blatant me throwing up on a page. Y'all will take me off of this pulpit as quick as you can. Because I got to get real with the Lord. I got to be honest. I got to tell him the things I wrestle with, the things I struggle with, the things I don't believe. I got to tell him the things I'm hearing. And I got to throw up on a page and I got to hide that thing. And it's between me and God. Paul is giving practical ways. He says the helmet of salvation, it's hope. Salvation is hope. Guard your mind with the hope, the truth that God has saved you and you cannot lose your salvation despite how messed up you think you are. He says the sword of the spirit. By the way, notice all of these here are defensive weaponry. It's all defense. It's protection. When you fight somebody, notice the back. There's no armor on the back here. You're standing face forward. 
And Paul says in the scriptures, stand, 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 stand. He gives four times where he says stand. Notice you stand at an enemy face forward. And then he says, not only are you defended, but I'm going to give you something to swing back at him. So you have the written word up here. And then he says, I want to give you the sword of the spirit. Be close to the sword of the spirit. The spoken word of God. It's rima in the Greek. It's not logos. It's rima. It's not the written word. It is the spoken word. So speak back to those lies. Some of you in here today, hear me, are walking hard in a depression. I want you to know this for me. I have in seasons walked in that. Anxious, worried, crippled by my own fear feeling like I can't get out of bed in the morning, like my chest is closing in. I am not denying, I am telling you today, I'm not denying that we have doctors and health doctors and that we need to crush the stigma that a mental health doctor, a counselor is a bad thing. If it was, thank you, if it was me, I would say all of us need to be in one. Why? We go to a physical doctor. We go to him for our health. We go to a bodybuilder to try to get, look better. We go to a nutritionist to help our body. What about going to someone to help you think, someone who studies the brain? God has equipped these people. But the other part of it is I want to tell you that maybe it's not all physical and psychological. It could be spiritual. And what if you start speaking spiritual back to less spiritual? What if you start speaking more power back to less power? That's what God is calling you to do as he says swing that sword, okay? The last thing I'll tell you is this. is This is where Paul closes out. Notice this. He doesn't just tell you sword of the spirit. He tells you, he doesn't make a break in verse 18. He says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and he keeps going, praying at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert. With all perseverance, making supplication. Supplication is detailed prayer. Don't be like, God, just help me, please, today. Tell him, what do you need? Be specific. He says, making all prayer and supplication for all the saints, verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the gospel. What he's saying today is pray. Enter into prayer. Enter in. I love this quote by John Piper because uh, he kind of breaks this down. All of these are interesting. It's like the defensive body armor a weapon to swing, and he tells us prayer, but he doesn't give us like an object for it. And I love what Dr. Piper says. He says, man, it's kind of like a walkie-talkie prayer is. And he gives a brilliant explanation. Listen to this. It'll be up on the screen. He says, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believer is that they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie, that is prayer, into a domestic intercom. He calls prayer a walkie-talkie. He says, until you believe that life is war. You cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It's as though the field commander, Jesus, called the troops, us Christians, and gave them a crucial mission, go and fight and bear fruit. Handed each of them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished. And to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to the mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter to give you tactical advice and to send in air cover when you or your comrades need it. 
And he ends the quote by saying this, but what have millions of Christians done? They have stopped believing that we are in war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning. And what did they do with the (laughs) walkie-talkie? They tried to rig it up as an intercom and their cushy homes and cabins and boats and cars, not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maid to bring them another pillow to their den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call the headquarters for anything and everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. God is a commanding general, and whether you love that analogy or not, he is, and you're part of an army against an opposition. And he's calling us in, and he's giving us the ability to not be comfortable but to call in support as we need it. So I want to close out. I want to close this out today, and I realize that there are several groups of people in here. Maybe some of you in here today are actually dabbling in some of this. Maybe you're part of some of this. Maybe you've been a part of the occult, or you've been part of things that involve, I don't know, witchcraft, tariff, Uh, Tarot cards, Ouija boards, I don't know what it might be, you know. And if that's you, can I just tell you today that there is a stronger spiritual presence and a greater power and a lover of your soul. And he wants to build you up and bring you into a family and set you free and bring you to streams of righteousness and green grass to lay upon and bring you peace and joy and comfort And he wants to give you the power to walk with him over anything that is oppressing in your life. And there's other groups of people in here today. And can I just be honest, and as a pastor, you're asleep. You're taking a nap. You're not wearing battle gear today. You're wearing pajamas. And I know this sounds deep and heavy, But let me tell you, your pastors here, we are concerned and we want to raise you up and with you and walk with you. We are concerned for your souls and the well-being of your state and nature. And we know that God has so much more for you and he longs to use you where you're at. In your space, Acts 17, you have a place, a purpose And God has placed you there and he's not asking you in your fraternities to just be asleep. He's not asking you in your classes and your football teams and in your workplace to be asleep, in your neighborhoods to be asleep. He wants to waken you up to the realities of what he is doing today and there is a battle and he wants you to know it. And then there's some of you in here right now that need to hear, I know you're in a battle and you know it. And I need to say to you today, Leave the shame and the guilt and the lies to the ground today and step on them like your Savior steps on the head of the enemy because you're free and the victory has been won. We fight from a place of victory now, friends. We fight from a place of strength in God with his righteousness that he's given us, with his salvation that he's given us, with all of the ways of which he gives us, he allows us to fight from this place. 
there's a story, and I'll close out with this story, and the, um, the band can come back up here. But I'll close out with this story. I read a story about a guy in Peru uh, who apparently uh, an anaconda uh, entered his home. Hello. Uh, thank God we're in Austin, and I don't have to deal with that. Someone's got to be there, I guess. Uh, but he entered his home, and it made the news because this man took a machete and cut off the head of this anaconda. Uh, the interesting part about it is that for the next two to three days, the rest of that body thrashed about in his, in his living room. Okay? Hello. You're like, thanks for telling me, Nick. We're excited to eat pizza here in a minute at the business meeting. Why am I telling you that? Because our God has killed the enemy. He has crushed him already. And he's angry but he's thrashing about a little bit still, and his time is coming to a close real quick and real soon. And there is going to be a day, and it's coming soon, where Jesus returns, and the time is quick, and the time is now for us to wake up, to push back darkness, to make peace with people, to carry the gospel of peace into our communities and into the relationships and into the lives of the people who don't know him. And I will tell you this, he has no foot, anybody who gives the enemy a foothold, the enemy has a foothold on. But if you don't give him a foothold, then he has no power over you. The name of Jesus is greater and stronger and more powerful. Amen. And so let us fight from victory today. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, um, I ask for you... Uh, I really ask for you in this moment, just take a moment of silence and uh, to just examine our hearts, Lord, and speak to my, my brothers and sisters in here. God, would you do only what you can right now and just speak to them, whether they need to wake up, take a stand with you, whether maybe they need to realize and wake up to the reality that there's an oppressive force that is trying to push back the good that you're doing. And maybe somebody in here today has never heard this truth before. And there are supernatural realities that are happening in here today that maybe God has placed them in this room to walk into freedom today. And your scriptures tell them that all they have to do is confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they will be a child of God today. Lord, I pray that you would stir a heart today. They would come and tell us that we would celebrate with them today. That they would walk out of being in, in enemy ground and walk into the commander's army today. That you would even, for some of us, take off our PJs today and put on battle gear today. And that we would live in the reality of Proverbs 18.10 that says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous man runs into it. What a beautiful name it is. Lord, I know that you could end the enemy with a flick of a wrist. Satan would be wiped away with one word. But somehow you choose to employ human agents in that and to do war with him. And I pray today that you would strengthen and build confidence into my brothers and sisters here today, that they would know you are leading the way, that they would know they have all they need, and that they would know that nothing, no height, no depth, no power, 
No angels, no demons could ever separate them from you, Christ Jesus. What a beautiful name. We pray, amen.